Yeah. We are back on. Welcome, everybody, to the Genius Brewing live stream. It's a live stream we do almost every single Sunday. Um, I think we're on a three- or four-week hiatus right now, just back-to-back -back stuff between work and life and extracurriculars and family and all that. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're back now. Uh, for those of you yeah. who kind of wonder what the breakdown is like, we start off with some Genius Brewing news, talking about the stuff that goes on here in the tap room or in the beer industry in general, if there's anything cool there. Then we go into a beer of the week and then two discussion topics. And today we're going to be talking about some uh, some brute IPAs and locale IPAs and stuff like that. Um, Tis the season for it. And uh, we happen to think we make some of the best ones out there. And they're really not that hard to make. So Heck yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, jump into some Genus Brewing news. Yay. Genus Brewing news. Well, seltzers are popular. Um, we just went through a heat wave uh, and... People love the Celsius. And oh, yeah. It's actually been really fun to make a f lot of whole new flavors. And if you want a really fun video, go over to the Genus Not Brewing channel and watch our Hot Wing Eating Challenge, where the only thing that they get to drink is habanero seltzer. That was a really good seltzer. Like, in all honesty, like, yeah, it had some heat, but it was a really tasty seltzer. I think we've been kind of nailing them. Um, yeah. We put out like what four or five different seltzers so far? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have uh, in the last four like or five. two weeks. In the last two weeks. In the last two weeks, at yeah. least, probably, like, four or five. Yeah. Some really nice, fun flavors. The cotton candy Maybe was it's delicious. Yeah. Uh, the pineberry habanero was amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and especially for a simple process of putting a bunch of habaneros into 88% lactic acid and then throwing it in the seltzer and drinking it. I mean, that was, that was pretty awesome. A sneaky way to go about it, but it worked out really, really well. Really well. Um... So. So watch the video on the habanero seltzer, the wing challenge one. That's super fun on the Genus Nat Brewing channel. Uh, mm -hmm. We also put up some greenery behind us. We did. You can't see it in here. But uh, finally, our wife's complaining enough that the shop didn't look, you know, homey and inviting enough. Got uh, them inspired to, well, mostly Lisa, inspired to uh, buy some uh, greenery for us and then force Steve to put it up because, you know, we weren't going to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's there. Uh, it's, a, it's a good start to making this place a little bit greener. Uh, yeah. yeah, it looks really nice. You know, just imagine a really cool looking green background, uh, you know, up above us. Um, and there you go. Yeah. Um, and lastly, the other, last thing that I wrote down, there's probably more, but uh, we put the uh, Lepus barley wine back on and it uh, had continued on some fermentation in keg. So it dropped another 10 points in keg, which puts it at, what, 14.5-ish percent? About 14.5, yeah. And it is tasting just delicious. So we got some boozy stuffs. That's right. And I don't care what other people down the road say, we definitely have the uh, booziest beer in the valley and the most delicious. Yep, 100%. 100%. Zero competition. Zero, Zero competition. Yep. <laughs> we haven't seen any come into the brewery yet. So, you know, until that happens, zero competition. Oh, that's true. That's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. We do need to make a, a, a one-mile walk at some point in time because I'm kind of curious if there's anything a mile in that direction that we need to try. But That we need to. Yeah. yeah just possibly. Hey, I mean, you know, uh, our other uh, minion is coming in later, Josh. And oh, yeah. Be, we could tandem scooter down. That'd be, yeah, we could do that. We could. <laughs> See if we can max out the, the weight capacity <laughs> in that thing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, is it? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait. All right. So we got we to gotta do it. We got to do it. I got a good joke of the week for you. Okay. You got to hand it to a blind prostitute. 
<laughs> Thank my wife for that one. She loves it. <laughs> oh, I have, another, right. I have another one that has that involves hands, actually. Matt, you know what? Your opinion doesn't matter, and we happen to know the owner. <laughs> uh, did you did you did you hear about the one armed fisherman? No. You caught a fish that was this big. <laughs> that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a, yeah, good good jokes involving arms and hands. Exactly. All right. Well, now that we're done with the genius brewing news, I think it's time for the beer of the week. Bump bump bump. Beer of the week. Um, All right. And today's beer of the week is going to be the Brute IPA. We've talked about the Brute IPA a couple times before, um, but it's been quite a while, and you know, things have evolved since then. And so I think it's a good time to reintroduce it. Uh, Brute IPA is basically an IPA that is designed to be super, super dry in the finish. Yeah, uh, you're seeing a little bit of a new rise in Brute IPAs being rebranded as locale IPAs, light sessionable IPAs below four percent having almost no uh, sugars to them very low calories and very delicious yeah which doesn't mean that you still can't make big brew ipas as evidence of our 8.8 percent brew ipa on our board yeah uh but just by the nature of the fact that they're going to finish dry they're going to make a lot more alcohol it's kind of like wine um because they finish so low final gravity the alcohol on those goes way up so uh, you know yeah. some a beer that starts at you know 10.55 i want to say will still finish out at like 7.8 percent alcohol so that's uh actually i think that beer started at uh, 10.62 og it was going to be a really nice medium ipa and then uh, we fermented it all the way out to make an imperial because YOLO, why not? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, in the, you know, in the heat wave in the summertime, it's really hard. It's not really hard. It's really easy to drink uh, big IPAs. But it could be more enjoyable if they were lighter and more sessionable. And this is a great way to do it with the locale. Yeah. Uh, we've been making a few of these for a while. There's a few tricks that you have to do to make a, uh, it more palpable on there since these beers are so dry. The bitterness is going to be super aggressive, and you have to adjust for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ways we do that is just light end hopping or even uh, doing some sparg water hopping in there. Really trying to avoid all bitterness that you can in every aspect. The thinness of this beer is really going to make the bitterness of the hops jump, even if you have no bittering additions or even if you have no boil additions. Yeah, so what, I, what I'll add is that uh, um, it's one of those beers that you want to create as much uh, dynamic flavor and I would say like juicy or almost perception of sweet flavor mm. to mask the fact that it's other than that just this tinny crisp you know bright beer so you want to create all that fullness in all the different ways you can so that's kind of what you uh, we, what you conceptualize when you're thinking about what you're putting into these beers so big whirlpool additions are a great way to do um, huge juicy flavors um, and I'll also choose softer hops uh, for the hop of the week today uh, I actually picked uh, Nelson Savin Mm. for that subtle white wine character that I think goes with the nice dryness, especially if you do, you know, the higher alcohol versions. I think the higher alcohol versions go really well with like a subtle white wine hop. Yes, especially. I mean, that's a really good point on there, subtle hops, not your normal big aggressive hops. You could make a locale with or brewed IPA with uh, Centennial. I mean, that's 
part of what's in ours right now. Uh, but making a 4% with Centennial is going to be a lot harder than it is to something that's a lot softer and a lot more fruity on there. Yeah. Um, you know, stay away from the huge aggressive hops. No Chinooksies. No. No, no, yeah, no Centennials. No, uh, yeah, I wouldn't suggest it. If you do an all whirly, you could probably get away with a good amount of, you know, a lot of the big hops like Mosaic and Galaxy. Um, but still, you got to be thinking about how you're going to be balancing that back end sweetness. And so if it's on the brute side, if it's on that 4% side, um, that might come with an actual sugar addition, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but if you're on that higher alcohol side where you get a little bit of uh, sweetness from that high alcohol, it can kind of handle a lot of that. And so as long as you're adding all those hops in the whirlpool and creating that softer fruitiness, um, uh, and we should add that you definitely want to get all that plant material out of there. You don't want that green, mm. that hot burn. No. Um, none of that flavor. Which, uh, along with that, we have found that uh, cryos <clears throat> or lupumax tend to be a lot more advantageous for this, uh, mainly because there is less plant matter in it. Yep. Uh, you have less to filter out of there. You have less to go into the fermenter. And most of the time, we don't dry hop with this. No. Nope. Uh, dry hopping can be a little bit too aggressive and give you some of that plant matter biting this. So if you do it, do it with Lupo Max, not with or uh, cryo or lupomax, yeah. not with regular hops. You want to stay away from as much plant matter as possible in this. Keep it nice and, and dry on bitterness. Mm -hmm. um, let's jump back a little bit. I want to talk about, I picked Heidelberg as my malt of the week yeah. uh, for the reason that it's, it's a really good baseline. And I also, this is a fun beer for me, fun, fun beer style for me to make as physically light as possible. So yeah. I think it's uh, fun to have a really full flavored beer that looks like crisp and yellow. Um, it's just kind yeah. of a fun concept in my head. It looks almost like light yellow fizzy beer, but tastes amazing. Yeah. Uh, Heidelberg, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is a very, very ultra light Pilsen malt. Um, it's also highly enzymatic, um, so it's really good at you know converting. So if you wanted to do that and a little bit of, let's say, wheat malt uh, for a little added flavor, a little out of, uh, added cereal flavor in this style of beer, um, Heidelberg is a good, uh, a good choice to go to for any of that stuff. Uh, I also like flaked rice. Yeah. And uh, you get some really nice dry flavors out of it, but it still leaves a little bit of puffiness in there. Yeah, the perception of creaminess. Mm -hmm. uh, clear candy sugar kind of does the same thing as well. A lot more dry than what the flake rice will give you, but, you know, kind of that same concept. Try to leave some residual things in there because you are taking almost everything out of this beer. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, you don't need to necessarily make this like that ultra light crispy boy looking beer, but I just think it's really fun because of how much flavor you can pack in using alternative yeah. methods. So it's fun to pack in a lot of flavor and what looks like a Bud Light. Yeah. And you know, if you know us at all, we like to confuse people with beer. Yeah. It's fun. Um, uh, on adding that kind of flavor, I also picked a pub for the yeast of the week, but really anything with some mild esters. You don't want anything pungent like a Saison yeast or uh, even a lot of Belgian yeasts, I would say with the exception of Ardennes, will be too aggressive. Um, but uh, adding a little bit of esterification to this style of beer can be really nice. Uh, on that, I would say Sundew actually probably from Omega would yeah. work uh, really well for this. Uh, because again, because this beer has nothing to it, getting a little bit coming off the yeast is really, really nice on there. You don't want to go extremely clean. Uh, you know, USO five or Chico strain is probably not the right choice for it because it's too clean. You want a little bit of something. I love pub. Pub is one of my favorite yeast yeah. out there. It's perfect for it. I think uh, a lot of time we actually use uh, quike on it. Um, it's been varying, actually, between Quite King, Pog, and uh, Loki. 
Yeah. Um, Voss. That's what I was searching for. Voss. Uh, but I think almost any other Qui-Gon that too could go pretty well, except for maybe Lutra. Uh, Lutra being a little, again, in Too that. neutral. Chico strand. It's too clean. Yeah. You want a little bit more from this beer because there's nothing left over. There's no sugars left over. You want a little bit more. You want to pat that flavor into a small beer. Yeah. And uh, somebody's asking, uh, Hopeful Brewing asks if there's any links to a recommended recipe on Brewer's Friend. Actually, our locale beer that we make is linked on Brewer's Friend. Mm-hmm. I think we've got three different variations on there now. If you go to Brewer's, Fr- Brewer's Friend and look up Genus Brewing, we should pop up. Um, but in our variation, we actually use Loki. Um, uh, we yeah. did. We wanted to brew that hot and fast, and uh, I think we had the first iteration of the locale IPA that we did. I want to say we had out in six days. That I, I think that was the six day IPA. Yeah. I, from the time that we brewed it to the time it was carved on tap being drank was six days. It yep. was awesome. Super cool. Uh, I think the first big batch that we did with the Nelson Savans and Galaxies in there that was amazing. Yeah. Because that's just all that big big punchy hops but still really soft and not bitter yeah that was a really fun one yeah all right so let's uh the next section on here um the og uh for locales if you want to actually keep them in the locale range you are looking for specific points on here and a starting og of 1.036 is what you're looking for if you actually want to keep it in the locale range you know for health reasons of course yeah for reasons um uh to to give you an idea of what we're trying to hit there is we're trying to actually hit a calorie of really really near 100 calories per beer or per um 12 ounce bottle of beer which is going to be like 130 for per pint or something like that yeah um 125 i guess would make sense uh, so that's what we're trying to aim for when you, when you think of low-cal. We're thinking about that 100, um, 100 calorie per 12-ounce bottle uh, or under, and that's kind of what they market when they market low-cal beers. Yeah, slightly mighty. Um, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the dogfish one? Was that dogfish? Slightly mighty? Dogfish? Slightly mighty was dogfish. I'm okay. trying to think of the uh, um, one down in Oregon. Um, uh, yeah, I'm blinking. They're out there. Yeah. Anyway, they're out there. They're super delicious. But, you know, that is one thing. It's having that content, especially in the professional market, so we can market it to more health-oriented people. They're looking for something that's an alternative to seltzer, that's an alternative to a hard alcohol that still tastes good. And we like them just because they're styles of beer that we can drink all day, um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, a a fair handful of times we do do that. And so uh, it's kind of like a Goza for us, where it's a beer that we can drink all day and still feel good about ourselves, but it's still packed with a lot of flavor. So, yeah fits in that same same spot for us in our mind all right so let's move on to something that is extremely important in this and that's amg mm-hmm. or the enzyme you say it, you're better amyloglucosidase yeah he's he's got the science tongue <laughs> uh, amyloglucosidase is the enzyme that actually is going to go and convert all the longer chain starches in this style of beer into fermentable sugars. And so basically it's taking all the non-fermentables in the beer, um, which are also the calories in the beer, uh, everything that gives you that final gravity, and it's turning them into sugars that turn into alcohol. So 
Uh, we like to use AMG at High Krausen because this is such a low starting gravity beer. It will, no matter what yeast you use, ferment out fairly fast. Um, so High Krausen gives us a t uh, you know enough time to make sure that AMG is kind of working in tandem. Um, it's right when, so for me, that's right when it's, I start to see that High Krausen fall. Um, if you do dry hop, which we usually don't in this style of beer, but if you do dry hop, that's also a good time to add that in. Mm -hmm. um, at High Krausen, the beer is off-gassing enough that you're relatively safe without a full closed system to dry hop as well. Yeah, and uh, like I was saying before, this is one of the more important parts about brute in there. You can get a couple of strains that are diastaticus or uh, create their own enzymes to further ferment sugars but generally those are going to be more aggressive yeast that put off more aggressive flavors that you don't want in there such as belgian strains especially saisons yeah uh so we're adding that enzyme in there and that's how we're taking all the calories out that's how we're taking all the sugars out that's how we're getting down to 1.000 final gravity and that's what makes it a brute you want to aim for a final gravity of one or even maybe a little bit under depending on what all's in there yeah uh, if you produce enough alcohol it's less viscous than water it'll drop below one and you can have some really tasty things on that yeah so we talked about this before, but when you're doing a beer that dry, it's really, really hard to add enough body to the flavor to really stand up to whatever hot flavors you're going to add. And you really want to have that balance in your final beer. So there are a couple tricks that we do to kind of make sure that there is that perception of complexity and mouthfeel and sweetness in the beer, especially with a locale version of this, to make it uh, have that full, well-rounded flavor. Um, our go-to trick is going to be uh, adding monk fruit sugar. Monk fruit is awesome. Uh, one, it's an un unfermentable sugar. So your yeast is not going to touch it, which is pretty awesome to use pretty much in any of your brews. Uh, beyond the fake sugars, you know, lactose is something that we use often and everything. Lactose is a little bit inappropriate in this. You're taking away from the low calorieness if you're adding lactose. Uh, if you don't care about that, add a little lactose. It'll be all right. Make a milkshake locale. <laughs> there we uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> well, not locale, but a milkshake brute. Yeah. Uh, so, it, but monk fruit is still has locale on that. It's a keto sugar, if that's something that you're also worried about. And it also tastes good. That's important. It tastes good. Yeah. Uh, stevia is a kind of a comparable substitute in the sugar substitute world. Uh, but uh, monk fruit sugar is, uh, has a complexity that actually tastes pretty similar to malt sugars, um, which is why it blends in well with beer. So it's, it's not exactly malt sugar, but it's got a little bit of complexity that blends well with malt sugars. Whereas using something like stevia is going to be that medicinal kind of sweetness where you're you don't really uh, usually like it. It tastes fake. Yeah. It it does. It tastes like you put a fake sugar in there. And, you know, stevia is better than most of them. But monk fruit, I mean, it has almost a brown sugar quality to it or a turbinado sugar to it. Yep. And it's really nice to add into things to get that residual uh, sweetness back up. And it's nice to add into other beers, too. If you uh, dipped a little bit too low or you feel like you need a little bit more sweetness coming out of it, monk fruit is awesome, again, because it tastes real but it's also unfermentable. Yeah, and it's zero calories because uh, your body can't actually process it. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Nocturnal Brewer is uh, saying on here, wouldn't a party guile method uh, for be good, good for starting something like that? Uh, yeah. I think it'd be good. Yeah, especially if you have a party guile method with maybe a thicker mash. Um, so mm. you're going to have some non-fermentables and probably uh, some they're slightly less soluble sugars that are in your mash as well. So having those less soluble sugars means the party guile will retain some of that that can still be fermented by uh you know after the amg hits it in the uh, actual fermenting 
uh, part of the second runnings. So, yeah, do keep in mind that you're adding some enzymes. The further <clears throat> convert starches into sugars or complex sugars into simple sugars in the fermentation process too. So some of these tricks that you normally do for beers to create unfermentable sugars or bodybuilding sugars don't quite work as well in this. Yeah. Uh, you know, mashing higher to create the more complex sugars, as soon as you add the AMG, it doesn't care. It breaks them down, and then they ferment. Yep. Uh, so doing that, doing things like uh, actually longer boils to create more Maillard, uh, even though the complex sugars from the Maillard will ferment out, having that Maillard reaction go on will give you the perception of sweetness, and that'll be in there. We just normally don't do that because we make a lot of these raw. Uh, yeah. Also, we don't do that because we like the light crispy boyness of it. But if you don't mind a little extra color, go for it. That's a great way to do it too. Yeah. Um, before we uh, end out the uh, the brute slash locale section, another trick besides the monk fruit sugar to add a little bit of sweetness, which we touched on before, is adding some sort of complexity with the malt sugars that you did. Um, and I'll say that there is a malt called caramel pills, which mm. is kind of a hybrid malt. Um, uh, but caramel pills is the one uh, malt that I really like to add in something like this because it has, it's on the light end of the caramel spectrum. It's also a pseudodextrin malt, um, but it has, uh, honestly, most crystals type malts are pseudodextrin malts anyways, but um, it has a little bit of honey-like sweetness and it's not overpowering um, like a lot of the darker crystals will be. And this is one where a lot, since a lot of the, uh, um, uh, the flavor building in that caramel pills is going to still be broken down and fermented out. It lingers a little bit of sweetness or perceived, perceived sweetness at the very end that um, isn't detracting, and it, uh, it's, it's just nice. If you like a crystal or a C10, uh, use caramel pills instead. Yeah, great move to, to switch those over. Yeah, you're going to get such a great, <clears throat> beautiful little flavor coming off of that. That's a beautiful thing to do. So, yeah. All right. Well, hang on. Before we get into that, somebody uh, who was it, I think it was Reverend. Yeah, Reverend KY. Uh, I noticed that we had uh, Adam's beer up here. So, uh, he is a gentleman who is frequently commenting on the live stream, stopped in, handed us a whole bunch of beers, and we're going to drink them because yeah. that's what we do. All right, let's see. What do we got? What do we got? We got whip beer. We got hazy IPA. So the one, yeah, the one thing is when you do the Cali, Cali. the Cali Common, we got to do it with we the anchor steam, so we do a side by side. Um, let's do the IPA. Um, he did say by admission because it was uh, these, these were canned off tap. Um, he did say that the IPA might not have the staying power that it would have if we would have been able to drink it fresh, which we understand that. Um, if you're canning off tap, it's not perfectly O2 purged. Um, so, but if somebody uses the right amount of ascorbics, yeah. it should help. Um, someone did mention earlier today, if we want to talk about ascorbs, um, and how we use it, we use ascorbs in the mash per five gallon batch of three to five grams. Um, you can use ascorbs at package as well, but, uh, we use it in the mash. Uh, the idea behind ascorbs, this actually looks like it's, uh, it looks like it's holding up. I yeah, don't see good. any, uh. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, ascorbs will reduce the amount of uh, uh, ROS, reactive oxidant species, that are in the mash. So those are precursors to things that can um, speed up oxidation reactions um, uh, post-fermentation or when the beer is packaged. So it reduces the reactive oxidant species, and it also creates some things that are protecting against um, uh, oxidation later on, namely reductones. So that's why we use it in the mash. People can use it as packaging as well, but it does different things at packaging. So... Mm -hmm. That's our Ask Corb strategy. And there you go. Check it off your uh, bingo board. 
Remember, don't be nice or you'll get more bad beer. Honestly, you know, I mean, people, uh, especially new homebrewers, they're like, God, do you just hate it when, you know, homebrewers bring in beer? No. I think we've said it many times before. We like to drink bad beer. Yeah. Otherwise, you never know. Yeah, if you drink good beer all of your life, you have no idea what really constitutes it as being good beer. It also helps us appreciate which breweries in town are better breweries because there's a lot of breweries in town that create beers that I would say consistently taste like beers that I taste homebrewing uh, from homebrewers. And so I know my palate has shifted a lot just being in the beer industry for the last 11 years. Mm. Um, but uh, I, it's, it's a good check-in to know like, hey, when I started homebrewing, I would have thought that this was a great beer. Uh, and now I'm like, now that I've been brewing for a long time, I'm hyper judgmental of a lot of our beers. And then I, I realize that I'm, there's you a, know. there's a, there's a spot. Yeah. There's a spot between, uh, judging it and enjoying it. Does lactic um. almost work the same as ascorbs? No. Um, lactic acid and ascorbs are very different acids. Um, uh, and how that, uh, the, the reason is how they end up breaking down and what they end up creating during, um, uh, when they're uh, water soluble. So uh, lactic acid has a very stable compound that won't uh, change once the uh, hydroxide an uh, ion is released, uh, not hydroxide, the hydrogen ion is released. Uh, whereas ascorbs can go through a series of reactions after that that create other products that continually make your beer um, shelf stable is the best way to put it. Yeah. All right, Adam, you uh, want to be harsh. The first thing I'm going to say on that is the clarity on this is uh, juicy, not hazy, uh, but it is delicious. It's delicious. I get, I get like lemony and peachy notes. Mm -hmm. He's and got uh, HBC586 in it. That's a single hop. Is that the woody one? No, that's 472. Okay. I don't know what 586 is. Uh, so yeah, as far as like a true hazy, you're not quite hitting that nice creamy like haze haze in there. But this is a beautiful juicy, and I, I actually like uh, the clarity where it's at right now. I've become a little bit uh, susceptible to uh, the, that myrcene like danky pungency, mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes that doesn't feel great to me. I don't know if you use like a high myrcene hop, um, but I, I'm starting to like myrcene less and less. I know that's a me thing and just how my palate, I think I went too heavy on some hazies too many times. Uh, probably. But uh, I get uh, that same like myrcene, that myrcene bomb in this, so. Uh, HBC, five, eight, six. All right, let's uh, move on while we're, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the beers as we drink them, but uh, let's yeah. uh, move on to pseudo lagers so we can get into the next topic. Uh, for those of you who don't know, pseudo lagers, is a style that's been recently popularized because of innovations in yeast and uh, new di yeast discoveries. Ooh, okay. um, so basically, they're lagers that can be produced without cold fermenting yeast. So uh, that cold fermentation is going to be that 48 to 54 degrees oh, yeah. that a lot of traditional lagers start out at. These are lagers that you can actually ferment at, uh, let's say, 70 degrees or whatever your ambient room temperature is, or even hotter. We've done some of these at 95 degrees. So that's where the uh, idea of pseudo-lager came from. And to reiterate on the actual lager, why it's still a lager, uh, the lagering part of making a lager, uh, besides just being the yeast, is actually the storage afterwards. And so how the, the beer conditions and clarifies. So that storage, that cold storage, is what makes it a lager, not necessarily the... So, so what you're saying is the lagering... The lagering. The lager. The lo lager, I mean, when this came out, lager really meant to store. 
in Carlsberg, where lager yeast was found, they would take their beer and shove it in a cold cave and store it for a long time. Notice the yeast loved it and became bright and crispy. And that's how you're getting the bright crispiness is from the lagering, the conditioning time. Here's the uh, oil composition of that hop. Oh, uh, okay. The lagering creates that nice crispiness. So even some of uh, the big yeast flavors that can come off at AL temperatures will mellow out and become crispy if you let it lager long enough. And that that's pretty key in these beers, in the pseudo lagers. And pseudo lager, uh, I mean, they've been around a long time. We kind of uh, thought of them as hybrid beers yeah. for a long time, Kolsch being one of those. Uh, that's a pseudo lagered beer. Not a little bit different from what we're talking about, but that that's kind of what we're talking about there. You are taking an ale and turning it into that nice crispy lagery goodness through your technique. Um, Adam mentioned that his beer was hazy before we uh, before we got a hold of it. I think we might have accidentally lagered your beer because you probably you know you got the draw off tap and then in in the can. I think we kind of re lagered well, your beer okay. over there in the fridge and now. It you're gonna do the swirly i'm gonna do the swirly and this is something that you know, oh my comments aren't working i'm gonna have to like road in uh, get back into this That's right. this is comments. something you know your yeast settled out but yeah. i saw that happening while pouring i saw the yeast coming out which again is one of the reasons i, I was saying that this is closer to a juicy not hazy uh you cre you didn't create the stable haze in there, which is a, not a bad thing at all. I love this beer. It's actually really good. It's a very tasty beer. Yeah, but in the realm of hazies, when we talk about people making hazies that are clear hazies, uh, what you did here was make a clear hazy. So a, ha a hazy where a good chunk of the, uh, the haze came from yeast, you should be able to filter out your yeast and still create haze, um, which comes from, honestly, it's not easy to do. Uh, turbid mashing is a way to do it, but uh, getting a lot of mash proteins and starches that are going to be shelf stable, plus the biotransformation dry hop, which I'm sure you did. Um, yeah. yeah. And you know, uh, putting it into the can with a little bit extra pressure, our refrigerator could actually be colder than your kegerator on it and it just reached a nice temperature for the yeast to drop out or you drank it a lot faster than we did yeah um all right so all let's, right. let's move on on the pseudo lager front yeah. uh uh we let's talk about so we already talked about how you can lager pretty much any style of beer um mm -hmm. Uh, but when we talk about selecting yeast there's a couple different yeast that have been popularized in the last I want to say five years for one of them and like two years for, for the other one of them. Um, they are really good at fermenting lager cleanness at hot temperatures. And so 3470, which is the fine Stefan lager strain, uh, that's a, a yeast that we've talked about in our original like three, four years ago now, whatever it was, the, the brewing mist video. Yeah. Um, uh, the fine stuff and lager strain needing to ferment at that 52 degrees. We've made fantastic lagers using that 3470 um, fermenting all the way up to 70 degrees. Yeah, that's honestly, that is our house Kolsch strain or a house clean strain. Anytime that we want something to be really clean or Kolschy, <clears throat> uh, 3470 is it. It's a beautiful strain. Or you ferment it down at lager temperatures and have just beautiful yeast production off of it. it mm -hmm. It's an amazing yeast. Uh, newer yeast to come up with this is Lutra. 
and uh, this is a yeast that we've been using quite a bit. You've probably heard us talk about it, you know, every once in a while. Uh, Lutra is a quike yeast that's been isolated from Hornadol to have very, very clean production, even at high temperatures. Yeah. Uh, we've kind of uh, fanboyed over Omega for a good amount of time now, and mostly that's because they send us a lot of shirts, but also it's because their yeast is really good, and Lutra is just a fantastic thing to come out of them. Um, we'll do, like, West Coast IPAs at 95 degrees, uh, but even when we did our uh, – we would do the, the exact opposite of a lager brew um, to make a lager when we did our, <laughs> our pseudo lager. Yeah. Um, and so we used Lutra in that, but we made a beer where we fermented – uh, no, so we did a beer where it was a raw ale. So raw ale. There wasn't a, a boil at all. Uh, we hopped our sparge water, um, and then we just added a lot of different techniques at the back end, which we'll talk about as we get further down the, the list of what we're going to talk about, um, to make it as clean as possible. But uh, that was a really fun one. And Lutra worked amazing at making that crystal clean beer. Yeah. Uh, you know, and like we said before, we've been fan fangirling over Omega for a minute because they're, they're doing some really cool different things with yeast. And again, they should make a lacto shirt and definitely send it to us along with the cosmic punch shirt. Cause you know, we need to rep them more or just want the shirt. Uh, if you guys want to help them out, just email them and be like, Omega yeast, we've bought everything because of genus brewing. And I think you should send them more shirts. Definitely. Uh, but Lutra is really awesome for that. Now, I will say that we originally started using them when Omega came out. They originally said you can go full 95 and have really clean production. Yeah. Uh, they mm. have stepped back a little bit and said, well, maybe more like 75 or 80 for cleaner production. We yeah. have noticed that when we push it really high, especially when the yeast is still in suspension, there is an ever so light touch of farmhousiness that most people don't get yeah uh i personally have found that whenever it drops out and there's no longer yeast and suspension like it it's clean i can't tell the difference yeah um yeah i almost at the 95 i almost think of more of like just like a fullness in the mouth like it feels a little bit bigger than a lager whereas at the cold yeah. one it still you know feels it's, like a crispy boy although i'd say even all that if you were to ferment at 95 and then give it a long enough lagering time i still think it would crispy boy i up. think it would crispy really yeah. nice and you know in all honesty we're uh, talking about that lagering i honestly think that's where a ton of home brewers are missing the mark on lagers is giving it enough conditioning time letting the beer clean up and condition and become nice and bright in that cold storage yeah uh, and you know we said for long we say uh, to everybody that comes into the shop, oh, I can't do lagers because I don't have temperature control. Yes, you can. This is a way that you do it. We explain how to do it this way. Uh, there's a couple of other ways to do it warm. You know, you're doing pressure fermentations and things like that. And it's just amazing to watch people light up and be like, what? I had no idea that if I just stored it cold or lagered it, it would come out this nice and clean. And you know that's that's what it is that's that's what we're here for is to yeah. help people expand their horizons right there's a there, it's hard because there's a lot of people that are very type a that come into to homebrewing and they do that scientific method and type a people are are weird because they end up making really really good brewers very very early on especially a lot more than type b people um, but type a people uh when they're first researching they look at everything that they've researched and said this is exactly how it needs to be done um because they're type a they're also very confident in their methodology very early on because um, they did the research and they know that it's what it's going to be um, and so they're a little bit less flexible when it comes to uh alternative methods to get to the same process uh but 
usually over time they earn we earn their trust and then they're like all right we can figure it out it also helps that we can hand them a beer and say look <laughs> yeah. this is we did this this, this is, is how we made tasting. this beer <laughs> oh my god which you know not to say that somebody like that isn't good i mean in all honesty i could probably use a little bit more type a in a lot of my brewing and yeah stick to the things that i know that work instead of go yeah i wonder what will happen but you know we wouldn't be genius if we did that. That's right. So we got so. we've hired two Type A people so far, and I think that's going to be really good for us to have that. <laughs> yeah. Have that in the brewery. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, did we miss that? We missed that in Genus Brewing news. I'm oh yeah. Take a jump back. We uh, hired a cook, uh, Warren. Yeah. Warren G. He is doing amazing things in there. He is also one of the roasters at uh, Arctos Coffee in town. So our coffee Kolsch will now be made with coffee that he makes, which is going to be really fun. Yeah, uh, and I mean, honestly, like he's he's wizarding back there in the kitchen. Yeah, he's and doing he, a great job. Both of us can make some very delicious things. So I've eaten both of our food, and they're awesome. We just normally don't have the time to get back there and research, and Warren, he's slaying it. I mean, you got to come in and taste some of our things when he's done. So shout out to Warren because he is amazing. Um, Ricardo, is in a legal sense, are you guys allowed to call it a lager even though you fermented it warm? Uh, in a legal sense, I can make a hazy IPA and call it a lager. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So that comes down to one of those things that if you can actually defend it by definition in court, then yes, you can 100% do it. Uh, there are some states that are much more strict on this. Uh, I believe that's why older viscosity just has like old beer on yeah. it they don't want to be short uh shoehorned into a style i need to get a be- one of those beers that is a super good beer yeah i have a, a couple i think i have one that's like five years old all right if this video gets uh 85 likes then we will um have a well-aged imperial cellar beer tasting on a live stream uh, actually yeah yeah if this if this beer gets 120 likes we could probably have a five-year multiple barrel aged abyss tasting (laughs) daniel's comment i love this type b's rise up but like let's just wing it and see how it goes yeah that's about how it goes (laughs) yeah did anybody make it no man you know i thought about it but i got distracted by a squirrel but then there's that one random day when like four or five of them show up and just get everything done (laughs) yeah uh so yeah uh the, the, sorry, was that Esteban or Ricard, uh, Ricardo? Yeah, so there is, a, in some states are more harsher than others. There are some times that you shouldn't call things that they're not because some jerk might take you for it. It's personal integrity but, more than, than legal stuff, though. Yeah, uh, on that, if it tastes like a lager, it's, well, I mean, that's unfair because lagers taste like a lot of things. If it tastes like a light, crispy boy, it's a lager. Yeah. That's what it is. And especially in a professional sense, it's easier in a home brewer sense to get nitpicky, nitpicky about this in a professional sense. When we put it on tap, it needs to be something that our customers <laughs> are going to recognize. Adam, you're amazing. Thanks so much for the super chat. And beer. Oops, accidentally super chatted you. Weird. Yeah. Also, so one thing about this is really kind of funny because when Adam dropped these off, he was like, by the way, I'm going to be maybe not able to watch live streams for the next three weeks. And then through random acts of us having family and business and 4th yeah. of July coming up, um, we didn't do a live stream for three weeks. weeks. So it works out perfectly. It was great. Um, yeah, but thank you, Adam. You're awesome. He um, also does the uh, the bingo that we need to, I need to start linking that. You do. You do. Uh, actually, not a uh, bad question uh, for this. Do we put ask corbs in loggers? Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you should do, uh, so ascorbs aren't just good for uh, uh, preventing hop oxidation. Uh, they actually lead to a lot of uh, characteristics that help uh, aid in flavor in beer. Um, ascorbs actually aid in the Maillard uh, reaction. Um, so if you want to get that, that Maillard flavor in beer, ascorbs are a good precursor to that. And they, uh, um, uh, anything that has a heavy Maillard, which is why for beers that you want to age for a long time. It's one of the reasons that we recommend a really long boil. Um, that Maillard reaction pr produces those reductones that uh, help make the beer more shelf stable. So yeah, ascorbs in, in, in lagers for sure. You use ascorbs in your beer. If yeah. you want your beer to last longer or taste better longer, Ooh. ascorbs. That's your basic uh, wet beer. Yeah, it's really nice. We are now going to drink a wet. That is a... Uh, I actually really love the color. Yes. Yeah. Orangey than you see. And I don't mean orangey as in Blue Moon. Let me put some orange juice in it. But uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, no, the peppercorny kind of spice comes through really, really nicely. And, and it's not overshadowed by cloviness, which some wit beers can be. It comes yeah. as a nice, like, uh, peppercorn flavor with the oranginess. It's, it's really pleasant. And the cereal wheat quality that's in there is, like, a very good level. It's not over cereally where you can get a little bit too heavy grain flavor. But it's, yeah, that's really nice. That, it's very, <clears throat> it's almost shredded wheats on the nose. Yeah. We, so we did a, 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 a blind tasting beer from Tabor video on the Genus Not Brain channel, uh, I want to say a little over a month ago. And there was a whip beer section of that. And in that whip beer section, I think this would have gotten second. Uh, the whip beer tasting was in Tabor. It wasn't from Tabor? No, oh, no, just, that was yeah, okay. Yeah, we just brought a whole bunch of them. In. Oh, yeah, it's Pro Brewers Taste Cheap versus Expensive Beer, something like that. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this would have gotten second out of that behind White Rascal. I'm sorry, you're just not going to be White Rascal. You're not going to be a White Rascal. I'm going to... This dog, is really... Thank you so much for the super chat. We appreciate you. Yeah, this is really nice, really cereal. I'm going to change my thing. It's actually Kicks. Like, when oh, I yeah. drink this, it's Kicks. That really nice, like, sweet grain. Silly rabbit. Kicks are for trids. That's right. <laughs> um... You know, uh, for my personal self, I could stand for a little bit more phenolics coming off of this. I could also stand for a little bit more coriander, but I love coriander. So, I've got uh -oh. coriander in my uh, pepper grinders. So, the uh, coriander was added at the Whirlpool, which could be why there's that difference there in uh, a, yeah. how the peppercorn flavor kind of comes through. Uh, and then it was filtered through orange zest. That's that bright oranginess, so it's different than that because the uh, the bitter orange peel, the dried stuff that you get, can be a little bit like sharp and pinny. I don't, I personally, I don't like the dried bitter orange peel. I yeah. know why you use it because it's really convenient, but it has all the pith on it, and that is just so bitter. I yeah. don't enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy it in certain beers. It's just got to be yeah. used right. But yeah. that's what that's the you know. Filtered through orange zest is a very different process than with that dry orange peel. You're usually going for. Um, uh, usually going for a 30 plus minute boil so yeah so i you know I, this is really nice i really like it i mean this is a super crushable crushable delicious beer that has flavors you don't normally get out of it get out of beers yeah you know um, all right, so let's continue on. Great beer, Adam. Thank you so much. Uh, and let's talk about all the ways that we make these, uh, these pseudo lagers, especially if we do that raw beer that we were talking about, how we make them so lagery, especially if we're on a time crunch. Yeah, and this honestly is 
kind of something it's fun to do but it is a challenge because when you're making raw beers you're not uh coagulating any proteins in the boil everything is left in there that it's a hard beer to get clear and especially when you're making a crispy boy you want it clear when you're making a lawnmower beer yeah I, we should join that the lawnmower beer association but enter our Gina stone light oh so yeah it's a nice raw <laughs> crispy boy a raw crispy boy that we made in yeah 10 days so all right one of the things that we've been doing for a long time, we preached it in a few of our videos, is enzymes. <clears throat> enzymes are awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, not that you should always be using them, but we pretty much always use them in our beers to create different things. The biggest ones that we use are going to be OptiMash and ViscoBuster. Uh, there are probably the same enzymes called from different places. We use the White Labs version. so. That's what we're using. Uh, OptiMash is basically uh, AMG. Well, no, a uh, OptiMash well, it's, is it's alpha. A, uh, yeah, well, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's an alpha amylase enzyme mixed with a series of other enzymes that kind of cover a temperature range. And so the nice thing about uh, if you're using OptiMash, um, it's going to maximize your mash efficiency kind of no matter where you end up mashing in. Um, it's also designed to be not sensitive to pH as much as the regular uh, alpha amylase that's going to be in your grains. Um, uh, so it can work at a better range of temperatures and it can work in a better range of pHs. Uh, but the number one thing is regardless of how, like let's say you're doing a 40% um, uh, adjunct beer, uh, which we do pretty often with things like hazy IPAs or even bigger beers. Um, using that OptiMash is going to make sure we still get full conversion. So we can make sure that we're just getting certain starches left over in the final beer. And it's also going to make sure that everything is very, very soluble, which is really important for maximizing efficiency. Yeah. The other big one that we use, and I absolutely love this one, I would say use it in every brew just for your own sake, is ViscoBuster. Mm -hmm. And ViscoBuster is a beta-glucanase mm -hmm. in there, which basically means it's going to break down proteins and it's going to make your mash far more lauderable. Yeah, so you're going to get, again, more efficiency just because those beta-glucans and those proteins... What they like to do in your mash is form kind of a gummy substance, and that gummy substance doesn't let water fall through it. And so by breaking up those proteins, and especially those beta-glucans, that gumminess um, becomes separated, and it lets more uh, of your sparge water fall through it or your recirculation water fall through it, so you reduce what's called channeling. You don't have water going through your mash. Yeah. Uh, I will say, since we have been using it at the end of my mashes, when I hit the perfect... Michael Russell, thank you for the super chat. Thank you very much. Uh, you deserve a uh, drink for that. Um, anyway. Like we need an excuse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, when we're getting to the end of our mashes on that, I am finding that perfectly when we're supposed to be pulling off the end of our liquid, I am down to a 1.005 or under on sugars left over in the mash. And that is amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, the other side effect of that and the reason that ViscoBuster is really important for uh, doing pseudo lagers is a lot of those proteins that ViscoBuster is going to be breaking up also end up being a lot of the haze forming proteins that can end up in your final beer. So clarification at that point ends up becoming a lot easier. 
I know a couple of people. Well, one person asked uh, if step mashing would. Let's take a step back. There's a couple questions I like in here, uh, and it is about step mashing. One was about the hazy IPAs. One is here in the uh, pseudo lagers, and I think it's actually a pretty good point to talk about. Uh, we had a question before, and I don't remember who it was, that asked if step mashing was a good way to build haze in beers. Um, I would say no because if you do protein rest, you're making it so there's less proteins in your final beer, and those proteins will help you build haze. Uh, but we I think have, you might be thinking of a turbid mash. Maybe that's what he's thinking of. You might be thinking turbid mashes are great ways to do it. Yeah. Uh, the beer, the, we have a question from uh, Aaron Hardiman. Does the beer industry ever use protein rest like rye distillers? And yes. Yes, it we do. And in fact, here we do a full, almost three-step mash every single time. Of course, we do mashes overnight, so I generally start that mash out, depending on the beer, between 110 to 120, and then let that fully step up through. But those protein rests are in there for most beers. Yeah. Definitely. For hazy beers, no. I don't like to do the protein rest because I want those proteins to hang around to create the haze and the thickness later. Esteban Flemos, thanks so much for the super chat. You say welcome back, cheers, and it's glad and we're happy to be back. It was a, it was honestly pretty pretty comfortable for us for a few weeks to take some family time, but uh, we're happy to be back and uh, we're gonna keep this going and make it consistent. Definitely. Brad Alsop, I have cold storage and lager. Uh, I have cold storage and lager all of my beers at 36 degrees for six to eight weeks. I also have them on CO2. Am I causing any negative effects on my ales? I will say actually. Yes, ish. So you, you, not necessarily, but you need to understand that um, when you think about that lagering process, that cold storage process, especially at a long period of time, um, that lagering process is going to make your beer brighter and tinnier is what I call it. So it also serves to dampen uh, esters. So let's say you're making a British ale, for example. Um, you might turn your British ale into more of an American weird crispy boy. Well, it, on that, you might even turn your British ale into more of a French style beer. Yeah. If you taste, and I, you know, we're getting back on it. Beer de Garde. Uh, if you taste the Beer de Garde fresh, that is actually very much more like a British beer. There, it's big. There's all these yeast esters going on, and then that six months lagering time that they normally have on it creates that super crispy, crispy, clean beer. Yeah. So some beers, uh, it's, it's kind of like wine. Some beers are, are meant to just be stored at that 55 degrees is their, is their good storage temperature. Um, so it's not necessarily bad, but all your beers will distinctly come out brighter, um, which for a lot of styles is a really good thing. But for some styles can actually dampen some of the flavor building components of the beer. Yeah, uh, you know, so it's just something to be aware <clears throat> of on that. I would say most British beers, it's probably a detriment to cold age it or lager it uh, most of the time i mean if you're going for something like well actually i won't i'll take that back if you're doing an old ale it needs to be at cellar temperatures so that little bit of brett funkiness can come through but british beers no don't do that that's something i will say that's not the style that developed in that irish beers probably not as well uh some Belgian beers, but it, that's kind of back and forth. If you cold age or lager a Belgian beer, it's going to be nice, fine, and crispy. You're going to lose some of those big phenolics and flavors coming off of it, but that could be a really good thing. Yeah. A lot of American beers go back and forth. I mean, you could, you could do either. 
Yeah, so. West Coast IPAs, I'd probably say yes. Cold storage like that is good. Mm -hmm. uh, hazy IPA, six to eight weeks, not a chance. Not, you, you've gone over its prime point yeah. at that. Uh, uh, Tim Hart said, here's a really good question. Does breaking yes. down all the protein with Visco Buster make less body in the beer? Uh, the answer is sort of. Um, but w what we like to do is this comes down to kind of a base principle that we tell a lot of people and kind of get them to understand is to know your ingredients and your processes. And so if your processes consistently break down, you know, a certain number of bodybuilding proteins, um, and the reason that why we always like to do this is because the, the proteins and starches that we like to fill back that body back up with are ones that we like in our beer a little bit more. Um, and so if we know we're going to be breaking down, um, let's say even in a West Coast IPA with Viscobuster and OptiMash, we might in that same West Coast IPA add something like flaked wheat to build back a texture that we like even more. I used Viscobuster <clears throat> in my hazy IPAs and in my juicy IPAs. Mm -hmm. Let's start there. It goes into those just because I love being able to slaughter out my beer. Uh, because of that, I would say that our hazy and juicy IPAs are almost 60% adjuncts. There is a ton of oat malts in it. And not flaked oats, but oat malt because the fattiness and the oil and the slickness that's in oat malt is something that Visco Buster is not going to take out. It's going to leave those big puffy feelings in there. Also flaked rice. I use a lot of flaked rice in our juices instead of wheat or flaked wheat or flaked oats because the flaked rice rice adds that fluffiness to the uh, mouthfeel that Visco Buster is not going to take out. Um, all right, so we got a couple more questions, but let's jump on so we just so we make sure we get through everything really quick. I do want to shout out Tuan Bui. That segment on using enzymes needs to be its own vid. Thanks uh, for the advice. I'll let Ryan know to hopefully pick those out, and that actually would be a good idea to turn that into its own vid. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned uh, a good question for the, when we go back to the lager stuff, which is a diacetyl rest important for um, pseudo lagers. Uh, he said lagers in general. Uh, it always depends on the yeast. So for all these pseudo lagers, especially if you're fermenting warm, if you're fermenting at that 70 degrees or with Lutra, for example, um, you're fermenting even hotter, um, no diacetyl rest doesn't matter. If you are doing a cold fermented lager with a classic yeast, it depends on the yeast, but a lot of them will throw diacetyl, and so that can be important. I will say we do a VDK rest for <clears throat> any cold fermented beer, whether it's a lager and ale yeast. And yeah, and part of that has to do with not only the, does it save us against the potentials for VDKs, uh, which are diacetyl and pentane dione, um, but it also uh, makes sure that the beer finishes up quicker. Yeah. Um, so all the tips that we do, we've talked about uh, the Visco Buster and OptiMash. Let's talk about um, those. So those break down a lot of proteins too, which makes a lot of stuff that's easy for super moss or Werflock tablets or Irish moss to grab onto the boil. Um, so to make so if you were to use Visco Buster and OptiMash, and then at the end of your boil for the pseudo lager, if you're doing a boil, we did a no boil before. If you were to use that super moss uh, or Werflock tablet, you'd notice a ton of grimy protein gelatinousness at the bottom of your boil kettle. So that's kind of an easy cheat code to just make sure that doesn't end up in your fermenter. Um, but again, we've done uh, the same thing with uh, uh, a raw ale, um, which means no boil, in which case the best solution is to have a good recirculation of your mash prior to going into the fermenter. 
This is actually in here right now, Hopeful Brewing, thinking about doing brew in the bag. When recirculating, does it re need to return to the top or can you recirc via Whirlpool arm? To the top yep. is where you should. If you're in a Whirlpool arm, that's normally coming in from the side and shooting around the side. So you're gonna be missing putting that back over the top of your mash, but you're putting it into the middle of your mash. So any of these things that you're kind of precipitating out will be right there in the middle and you'll probably create channeling if you do it over the top and over the top is not like i put it in onto you know i have my pot and i put it in onto the side over here really try to spread it out over the top as much as possible and have a gentle fall for that so you're not stirring up your grains that's going to aid in clarity that's going to aid in filtration for it it's going to aid a lot of things but when you're recirculating on that especially to make some of these raw beers clear put it over the top and use your grains to filter out haze causing things yep um teddy copper copper ale uh so adam uh, comments on that the copper ale is his buddy's joe beer that he brewed he's interested to know in our thoughts because what he perceived as sweet but just not sure if it was because it was given under carbonated good point on that carbonation will add, it adds carbonic acid to it and it will actually bring out some bittering or not bittering but make a perceived bitterness in beers so carbonated beers are normally less sweet than flat beers yeah i will also add that this does have a little bit of diacetyl in it um, which in english style beers which is, this isn't necessarily an english style beer but i feel like it fits into that category and an english style beer diacetyl is not necessarily a a, a flaw um but there is a little bit of diacetyl in there, which the combination of the esterification of the yeast and the diacetyl will build a perceived sweetness as well. There's some really <clears throat> interesting flavors that's going on. The nose is toffee caramel sweet. That was almost off. I get like I nose. get like plum also. Yeah. Um, I was almost off put by that. It smells so sweet, but it's actually very light. I see where you're getting that perceived sweetness. I think that's probably actually coming from crystal malts uh, if I would have to guess there's some very sweet malts that are in there they're giving you that back-end sweetness that there's also some level of roast malt in there that's it's offering a warranted bitterness a good bitterness I think if that bitterness wasn't in there the sweetness would be too much for me um, yeah this is still to the point where I'd I w wouldn't be able to drink this super fast. I don't know if I'm going to finish all this in this live stream because I also want to get to the Cali Common. Yeah. Um, but it's – now you need another set of glasses? Yeah, I need a new set of glasses. Um, but it's, uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't say it's a bad beer. There's no notable flaws. Um, uh, like I said, the diacetyl in this style of beer actually isn't a, a flaw per se, um, but it is a sweet beer. So yeah. that's and, kind of where I'd leave it. A lot of people would go crazy over this beer. Adam says he did add crystal malts to it. Uh, I can taste that. Adding something like a dark Munich for that color to get the fruitiness <clears> and that perceived sweetness with a little caramel pills would have been way better, but it's not bad. It yeah. would sell well in a professional brewery. Yeah. I mean, this exact beer would, would be better than half the beers I've tried at certain certain breweries that I've been to. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got the Super Mouse. You got the World Flock. Let's do Clarity Firm. Uh, so Clarity Firm is... So, and, Really good for raw ales, especially when you did the raw pseudo lager. Uh, Clarity Firm is a necessity at this point in time. Um, Clarity Firm, what that does is it also acts as an enzyme, but it's a protein breaking down enzyme. 
<laughs> um, so Clarity Firm is a protein breaking down enzyme that you add uh, tandem with the yeast. So uh, it will serve to cl clarify your beer. And it's one of those, uh, it's an enzyme that was originally created to be a beer clarifier. Um, but it also serves uh, as a gluten reduction. So if you want a gluten reduced beer, Clarity Firm is the enzyme for you. Uh, Scott Hambly, thanks so much for the super chat. Appreciate it. Um, so Clarity Firm is something you can add when you add your yeast and fermentation to help get you that lager-esque feel a lot quicker. And it's the only enzyme that you really add during, uh, like when you add your yeast. Uh, clarity, clarity Firm breaks down some hop compounds though, doesn't it? Uh, it can, yeah. So using Clarity Firm and highly hopped IPAs may not be the best, right? Uh, depending on what you're going for with the IPAs, because it also will break down. Uh, it acts as a... Um, beta-glucanase, uh, uh, yeah, beta-glucanase as well. No, not a beta-glucanase, a, what am, what am I saying? Glucoside, glucosidase? Glucosidase. Not a glucosidase. No. It breaks down the thing that attaches the, somebody, my brain's going blank, the thing that attaches the hop oil to the sugar, that yeah. thing. That, I, I know this, that's a point I just wanted to bring up that when you're thinking about Clarity Firm, it's great for a lot of things, but the way that it reduces hop haze can change the hop flavor, so do be aware of that. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go into double fining. We've talked about this a lot. Um, if you want to get the uh, uh, that uh, clarity really, really fast, uh, we use a two-stage fining agent in our pseudo lagers as well because we usually try to get them out within three weeks, which for a proper lager is unacceptable. It's uh, way too fast. <laughs> but... We, we make it work with a two-stage fining agent um, using uh, both uh, kiesel sol and kytosan. Um, kiesel sol is a silica-based um, uh, clarifier, and it's the same thing as biofine, or we actually just started using what's called silofine from Cellar Science, which is really good. And then the kytosan is a bug shell-based clarifier, um, or uh, not bug shell. Crab, whatever the, those, I think it's crab. those people, um, clarifier, um, that actually has the opposite polarity as uh, silophine, so it, it clarifies different things. Uh, you know what? It's not even 10 o'clock, so they can wait outside. Oh, no, it's Kevin. it's Kevin. We'll bring him in. Go get him. Or the door's unlocked. No, get in here. Yeah. We love you. Try some beer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's a, that is something that, especially when you're pushing out beers fairly fast, that is something that you should do as well as in lagers uh, or pseudo lagers. It's not a bad thing to do because clarity is something that people really love in lagers, unless you call it a Keller beer, and then, you know, who cares? You don't need it. All right. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is AMG is also optional if you want to brute these beers. So there are certain styles of light lagers that you can make by bruting them. And that pretty much reduces the last of everything that can possibly cause haze in beers. And so making that pseudo lager that you want to finish at exactly one uh, final gravity. Um, you can do really fast if you add all those tips that we just told you. Yeah. Let's go on okay. to Q&A. Uh, we're gonna get into this really fast. We did pour two different beers. This is Adam's last beer. He made a steam beer that he wanted us to judge against Anchor Steam. And Anchor Steam. Do you know that beer? color is spot on? Anchor Steam has head. That's what I thought. Anchor Steam has a little more head retention than there's yours a little. Does, there's a little bit different of a copper flavor a color in the Anchor Steam. It's like slightly more yellow. 
but in the right lighter. in the in the light right, right light you can't even tell the difference yeah but if you if you move them around you can see that this one gets a little bit more of that uh, yellow i would almost say orangey yellow but. orangey while we're uh, doing this ruindu uh, cold mm. fermented a dark ale with naughty at 12 degrees c came out super clean with little no ester uh could that be called a pseudo lager if you took that beer and you lagered it, yes, 100%. Without the lagering process, I would hesitate to call most hybrid beers pseudo-lagers. And by hybrid, I mean fermenting a ale yeast at lower temperatures like Kolsch. Uh, Joel, hope you enjoyed family time. I'm glad to see you back. Thank you so much for the super chat. We appreciate it. We did enjoy family time. It was good to have a few weeks off and uh, be able to kind of decompress a little bit from from life and everything here but we also were you know doing a lot of other business stuff and so there's a lot that went on but we appreciate uh, you guys understanding the break and we're happy to be back aaron barseman uh could using visco buster optimash be used instead of bumping up the grain bell a little bit due to lower efficiency based on people's systems what i think you're asking is could you use these enzymes to get more sugars out to compensate or to uh, not have to use more, use grains. more grain. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Since we've started using these two enzymes in conjunction, we have been hitting 10 points higher on our original gravity uh, in the standard gravity reference method system than projected. We are, I think our brew house efficiency went up by 15% on that so yes 100 percent. if you're trying to get more out of your grains these two things in conjunction will definitely do it okay i want to touch on this real quick yeah. there is a softness so part of it has to do with production size and everything like that that goes along with that there's a softness that comes with the actual anchor steam that can be only attributed to how they ferment the specific way that they ferment so for that way reason i can tell mm. that this is a sharper beer um, there's also a little bit of, I would say, hot bite in there as well. But I can tell that this is a sharper beer than this one, than the Anchor Seam. So the homebrewed one, a little bit sharper. But that said, they're both very good. And I would say outside of that fact, flavor-wise, they are relatively indistinguishable. Flavor-wise, yes. The only <clears throat> real big difference that I can get off these two beers is the more creaminess that's yeah. in Anchor Steam. Yeah. I will say I like that creaminess a little bit better, but if you handed this beer to somebody who, if you didn't taste them side by side, I don't know that you could tell the difference. I just burped into the microphone. Did you guys like that? Is that good? ASMR. Uh, yeah, so there's a mild acidification that comes from basically uh, open fermenting, uh, warm fermenting, a hybrid lager yeast. Um, this one yeah. just, this is actually a crispier boy than this one. That's what it comes down to. It, it is. That's about the difference between this these two beers. This one has a little bit more creamy body to it. This one's a little bit more crispy. Other than that, I don't know. Yeah, they, they're the same. That's an awesome job, man. Both great beers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lars, is there an advantage to doing a reiterated mash at two different temperatures versus simply pausing at each temperature with just one mash? 
Yes, but that's a really complicated question. Um, so there's a couple of reasons why you would think about doing that. And that's, uh, that's going to take a lot longer explanation than I think we can go into. Um, mm. So the short answer is yes, but you'd have to really know why you're doing it. Um, otherwise, it'd be no. Yeah. Uh, Javier, uh, Javier, will it, so with a traditional Bach yeast, would pressure fermentation <clears throat> work? Yes. Yes, it would. Can uh, try these two and tell me which one you think is Anchor Steam. We're having an awesome uh, uh, brewer as well as beer industry guy taste uh, some of your beer, Adam. You should feel you know honored. Should feel blessed. Uh, Javier. Honored, I'm not that good. <laughs> uh, hey, hey. Yes, you are. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, pressure fermentation uh, through several different processes, but the basic thing about pressure fermentation is, is it's going to make your yeast think that it's fermenting cold. So with a Bach, yeah, 100%. I would say with any lager yeast, you can if you pressure ferment right, there should be no difference between cold fermentation and pressure fermentation. Um, do you add enzymes at the beginning of the mash or at some point during um, optimize and viscose at the same time. Great info. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, yes, we had both of those at the beginning of the mash. Uh, Ruindu, uh, will sugar <clears throat> and corn do a good job at drying out the rather malty SM40 malt? I heard it's similar to Red X. Yeah, uh, sugar and corn do a great job at drying out anything. Corn will add a little bit of fruitiness. Which one do you think? They're close, right? Uh, the only thing I'm taking out is the other one's a little sweeter, and that, that was my... Oh, okay. No, yeah. Um, just barely, though. Yeah. Right there. They're really close. Yeah. Color, clarity is beautiful on that. It's all good. Nice. Yeah. 10 out of 10 on the labels as well. That's yeah, those, awesome. are, those, are, those are great labels. labels. But, yeah, corner will add a little bit of fruitiness, which could be good with the Red X-ish type of malt on there, where most base sugars are just going to dry it out with no flavor. Yeah. Um, there was one question. Does at no? So, uh, what was that question? What was that? Oh, Jacqueline uh, Hennard. I'm kicking a spruce tip ESB. Thoughts on throwing bourbon oak chips in one of the kegs? Uh, I would err on the side of caution. If it's really good by itself, I'd probably just keep it. But once you start adding too many flavors, it can sometimes get muddled and hard to pick out why the flavors are there. Um, but that said, if you have two kegs and you want to do a side by side, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Scott Hambly, a little off topic, but my beer's finished dry. Curious why. A uh, whole lot of reasons for that, but basically, uh, at the very bottom, you're creating a whole lot of fermentable sugars in your beer that your yeast is loving and eating them all. So you need either more complex sugars or yeast that doesn't eat all of the sugars. There could be way more reasons for that, man, but that's just one of the reasons. Oh, pound of victory and pound of special B in the steam beer. So mm -hmm. that, the roastiness kind of flavor that I was telling you about that I was getting in that one, uh, or the little bit of extra sharpness could be the could actually be biscuit from that in that victory. Uh, Lars <sighs> said something way up here that I might have missed. Okay. Is there? Oh, okay. And just see. Why, uh, here's actually a great question. Tuan Bui, uh, as a brewery, why even make traditional lagers as opposed to pseudo lagers? Uh, some of the reason is, is there are some flavors that you can't achieve as a pseudo lager compared to a real lager. 
So there are some things that you just should do as real loggers. Uh, that's about the base to it, you know. You can get close. You can kind of get into that realm. You can make some really good loggers as well doing pseudo loggers. But doing something like a nice fine pilsnubia, like, you're not going to get that in a pseudo logger. You need to do the process right to get a beer like that. So that's why you do it. Okay. So, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming back and getting with us after our little bit of uh, hiatus and, you know, mental stability, drinking beerness. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate having you guys smash our like button, of course, because uh, we like it when you smash it. Uh, go subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to Genus Not Brewing. We have both have uh, Instagrams personally that you could follow. You could follow the brewery one. We would appreciate that. Maybe comment on things, you know, make the algorithm work for us. It's good to be back. Keep sending us beer because this was awesome. This is what we love to do. You know, bring it in, send it to us. Uh, let us drink more beer. Yes. Oh, yeah. And do watch the Wings video. It is quite hilarious, especially watching Damon almost cry. That, that it makes it worth it. 100%. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. Good to see your faces, and we will see you next week. Remember, if you get enough likes on this video, we're going to do some big beer tastings.